but of the returning Savior. You see, the reality of this whole thing, this this whole Christian thing that we're contending with and that we're part of isn't just about the baby in a manger, the coming king. It's really the whole purpose that the coming king came, and that is so that he will eventually return. He came as a baby. He's going to return as a king. And the re- that's our Christian reality. Whenever, whenever we are in a place in life where we're down, circumstances are bad, our environment is less than desirable, events are rolling down our life's path that completely would, under normal, just bum us out would bring a heaviness into our hearts and into our spirits. But the reality is, is this time of year, if it does nothing else for you, let's be honest, everybody has a wish list this time of year. And if you don't get what's on your wish list, you don't have to be bummed out and sad. Because this time of year does one thing if it does nothing else, and that is the baby reminds us that the king is on his way. We don't know the when. We don't know exactly the time period. We know that he says when he was still on this earth, I am coming soon. Now granted, I get it, his idea of soon and our idea of soon They're not the same things. I completely understand that reality. But the fact of the matter is, is that our Christianity may be focusing on a baby in a manger. But he was looking forward to when he shuts it all down, takes us all home, and renovates the entire place. You want to talk about a DIY project? He's going to DIY this in the end where it will be unrecognizable. Praise God. Praise God. Bishop and Sister Carico are in our sanctuary this morning. I want you to know how honored I am to have you folks here. Uh, We've been missing you. Uh, I didn't think you were laying out of church. Trust me, I didn't think that. Um, I just know that you are busy folk and you've got a lot on your mind. Now let me just say this one thing before we get into the Word of God this morning. That with respect to uh, Christmas morning services and New Year's Day service, I expect that everyone's going to be here on Christmas. I'm not as faith-filled regarding New Year's. And I'm just going to let you know in advance to also, since this morning's message is, focuses on the idea of hope, that if you're not here on Sunday morning, New Year's Day, we will have prayer for you that your hangover hangs on a long time. Yeah. You know the ones that are in big trouble with that prayer are the ones that are sitting next to you going, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> the 
God is good. Amen. Amen. This morning we're in part four of our Christmas series, The Wonder of Christmas. And this morning, as I have already stated, we're going to be focusing on the idea of hope. The hope that came with the birth, well, actually preceded the birth of Christ. And then when he was born, uh, the fulfillment of the prophetic words that came before him. And then the hope of his soon and uh, uh, soon return uh, to, to this earth to take us all away. Uh, life is a strange thing anymore. It is a strange thing anymore. But this morning, let us enter the Word of God and realize that part part and parcel of the wonder of Christmas is how God chose to give needed hope to His people. Pre-Jesus, let's be honest, and we don't know that time personally, but pre-Jesus, all they had was Mosaic law and corrupt priests. People needed hope. The funny thing about it is that today, there are a lot of folk out in the world right now that are not sitting in church pews. They are not... uh, listening to a preacher or a minister or uh, a priest uh, discussing the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. They're not there. Now, there is a concerted effort in the lives of many who have decided that organized religion and church attendance is no longer for them, despite the fact that they have a belief in Jesus Christ. I've discussed this in this pulpit before. There's an entire movement as such. The bottom line is if, if, if an individual who may be listening to this message at a later date finds themselves in that group, let's be frank. If you've lost all hope in the organized church, if you've lost all hope in organized religion, then you're a person who needs hope fulfilled as well. You are that person. You're no different than anyone else. For many years before Jesus fulfilled the literally hundreds of prophetic words that pointed to His birth, God had hope in store for His people. The arrival of that centuries-old promised hope happened under a starry sky in a manger on the outskirts of Bethlehem at just the right time. The advent of the Messiah came to fruition just as it had been promised. Hope incarnate was wrapped in swaddling clothes and was lying in a manger that night. While biblical scholars simply are not in agreement and they are not in an alignment with exactly how many Old Testament prophecies that foretold the coming of Christ there were, but most hover right around 300 plus prophecies that foretold the coming of the baby. How do you think the wise men got there? Each one 
was a promise of hope about that what God would do one day for his people. Over three, now think about it. Over 300 prophecies about the Savior who was sent for the exclusive and express purpose of rescuing us. This prophecy, which the lady in our video referred to this morning, comes out of the seventh chapter of the prophet Isaiah. It says this, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Go ahead. Some 700 years later, this prophecy of hope, straight from the heart of God, came true as the Virgin Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. They named him Jesus. Why? Because he was sent here to save his people from their sins. That's the reason Jesus was born, you know. That's it right there. He was our Savior who would rescue us from our sin. Sin that separated us from a holy God. Jesus was born to give us hope. The hope of enjoying not just life, true life. While... He was also born for another reason at the same time. At the same time He was born to give us life and hope. He was simultaneously born for the express purpose of destroying the plans of our enemy, the devil. Those plans that had been set into motion and that had been on the radar and had been on the plate of mankind since the garden. Genesis 3 depicts the initial moment in time when the works of the devil, personified in the form of the serpent, were loosed on God's creation through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. From that moment, we needed a Savior. From that very minute, we needed hope. We hope, when hope arrived, it arrived wet and wobbly. Hope arrived wet and wobbly for the very first time at Christmas. Life in His name at that moment suddenly became a present possibility to have hope. Could it be? Why do you think the wise men came? Why do you think that the shepherds bowed? Because all of a sudden, the entire dynamic of existence was permanently altered from hopelessness to hope. 
years later, Jesus would articulate this very hope in the 10th chapter of the book of John. It says this, The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In this verse, Jesus let us know that there are two. Two different agendas. They're opposing and they're different and they're opposite of one another. And those two agendas are on a collision course with one another regarding who? You and I. You and I. One is the thief's agenda. Agenda, The enemy. The devil. Satan. His agenda is to steal, to kill, and to destroy our lives. There is no benevolence in the devil. When Jesus was talking with the devil during his fast... Do you think that the devil actually meant to award those things to Christ? There is no benevolence in him. He is perpetually, never-ending, ongoing malevolence. He hates you because he hates God. And his agenda is nothing but to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy everything there is about you and going for you and happening in you. All of it. That's his one and only agenda. Well, there's another agenda. And that's the Lord's agenda. And Jesus said that his agenda was one of deep and abiding love. Abiding. Meaning it stays with you. It is forever in your presence. His love. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you because my love is never ending and it is abiding with you. Jesus' agenda was and it is to give all, all, the, all people the opportunity to have and to experience abundant life. This abundant life would be such that people who would follow Him... Now think about this for just a second. This abundant life. For anybody following the Lord Jesus Christ, this abundant life would be such that the people who pursued Him could taste that life, could see and smell and enjoy that life forever. Forever. Here and afterward. Abundant life forever. This was the gift that was alluded to in the video again. That we can receive, that we can open, and that we can experience this Christmas. And throughout all of eternity, from this day forward, Jesus came to give us abundant life in and through Him. However, He also came to do something else. He also came to do something about our enemy who continues to this day, even this very minute, to try and steal 
and kill and destroy our lives. So Jesus not just came in his abundant abiding love to provide hope and abundant life, but he came to do something about the enemy. Aren't you glad about that? Yeah, yeah. John reminds us in 1 John 3, he said this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared... Now notice it says, the reason. Now we want to attribute to Jesus a whole bunch of reasons. When in reality, there's one reason. That Jesus Christ appeared. We say, oh, He came to save us. Oh, He came to bestow, He came to bless, blah, blah, blah. No, what He came to do is to destroy the works of the devil that has us in this position in the first place. So what He has to do is be born, grow up, go to a cross, die, be buried, be resurrected, and undo the mess that Satan caused through our original couple. And by undoing that, we get salvation, blessing, glory. We get the Holy Ghost. We have the ability to discern His Word, etc., etc., etc. Because Jesus came to do one thing and do it once and for all, as another scripture and later in this message is going to say, and that is undo what the devil did. Now, don't you just love it, Val? Don't you love it when the Bible's clear? Man, when the Bible's clear, it's like, hallelujah. It is so enjoyable when you read the Bible and you don't have to... What, what, what does that mean? Right? Isn't it great when you just don't have to say, what in the world is that saying? Well, let's be honest. This verse in 1 John 3 and 8, let's be honest. That's not very difficult to understand, is it? We all get that one. Boy, the Lord telegraphed that message. The reason the Son of God appears was to destroy the works of the devil. That's pretty clear. Praise God. The devil, whom Peter describes as... Your enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's 1 Peter 5. That's the same enemy that Jesus was talking about who is out only to do the stealing, the killing, and the destroying. Same guy. You got to love him, don't you? Yeah, not so much. Thus, as we find ourselves in this wonderful time of year we call Christmas, we celebrate because Jesus came to do what? I got this down here. and I'm gonna, It says, to pick a fight with the enemy who is trying to destroy our lives. And I'm going to be honest with you, I might take issue with that little statement now that I'm standing here. I don't think Jesus, Jesus uh, uh came to pick a fight with the enemy, I think he came to close the enemy down. I'm going to be honest with you. If I, if I decided someday, my, my, my dear friend, Lauren Venable, she's the executive director of the Hope Center. If you've never met her husband, 
her husband is a mountain of a man. He is forever big. He's as wide as some people are tall at the shoulders. And he's just, he's frightening. It'd be kind of like me picking a fight with him. It wouldn't be a fight. Hello. It's kind of... Here's a better example. Anybody here do pottery? Anybody ever seen someone do pottery on a pottery wheel? Okay. It'd be kind of like the clay picking a fight with the potter. That'd be a better example. Picking a fight with the devil, I think he just came to shut down the process. We have hope. We have hope. Because the one who could save us from the destruction of our enemy arrived on the scene to rescue us and give us back our lives. The hundreds of prophecies that led to a birth that would result in a battle that would destroy the destroyer. Hmm. Again, the reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? To destroy what? The works of the devil. This is what it's kind of like. Let's, let's just... This is what it's... It's like this. If Jesus were to say, Okay. Okay, Satan. If you want to be all about destroying things, if that's what you identify as, I'll sh- I'm going to show you what it means to destroy things. I'm going all the way to the cross. And when I get there, I'm going to disarm you. And I'm going to defang you. And I'm going to cancel the payment owed for sin for all of humanity. You want to talk about the beginning of cancel culture? That's what Jesus did to the devil. And those who put their faith and hope in me, trust in me, they are going to be saved. I'm going to come as a baby. Kind of disarming, huh? I'm going to come as a baby. And I'll go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. I may come as a baby, but I'm going to the cross as a lamb. I'll defeat death. And after I'm done beating death all over the darkness, I'm going to enjoy a rather glorious resurrection. Then... After 40 days have elapsed, I'm going to ascend to heaven and send my Holy Spirit. Why? To empower my people and lead my followers. My Father has promised that I would come in time, and I want you, devil, to make no mistake. I will come again to claim what is my own. But the next time that I come, I will come riding on a white horse with fire In my eyes, a crown on my head, and a robe that is dipped in blood, and the armies of all of heaven following me on their white horses. And on my robe and on my thigh, it's going to read this. You might want to write this down, devil. King of kings and Lord of lords. So, in the event, devil, that you want to be all about destroying things, when I'm done, you will know that I have shown you what it means to destroy something. 
Now, let's just, if, in the event you haven't thought, maybe you haven't thought about Jesus like that before. I want you to go home today when, not now, and I want you to sit down someplace where you can be quiet, where you're not going to have a bunch of distractions, and I want you to read Revelation chapter 19, and you will get an entirely different image of Christ. Has anybody ever had something stolen from you? I've had stuff stolen from me over the years. Doesn't that make you go, oh boy. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. It doesn't really, what it tends to do in our carnal human flesh is like, give, give me five minutes with them in a room. That's kind of what it does to our Christianity. You know what I'm saying? You took what I have, and you have absolutely no rights for it. You have no right to it whatsoever. Let's go find ourselves an alley. You know that's what it's like. Can you imagine stealing from God? As a matter of fact, Malachi says it. Will a man... Rob God? I said, look, man, if you guys will just straighten out your business, I'll rebuke the devourer. If you don't, sorry. Can you imagine robbing from God? Devil did. And now he's in a position where he has to pay the piper. Anyway. Go to Revelation 19 sometime today. By the way, that's another promise that Jesus will fulfill at a later point. Jesus is coming again to deal with sin. He did that. Jesus is coming again, he, he, but it not, he's not going to be dealing with sin. Jesus has already dealt with sin. Yes? Jesus has already dealt with sin. He did that when he was born, lived, grew up died, buried, resurrected. He's dealt with sin. Redemption has been purchased. However, when Jesus comes back the second time, He'll do so bringing salvation with Him and for all those who who are waiting for His return. That's us, brothers and sisters. And all of those, if He doesn't come in our lifetime, make sure you pass the Word on so that the next generation finds out He's coming back. We don't know when. Jesus said it. But He is coming. That's another promise that we can bank on. And funny thing, waiting. Waiting. Waiting is a bit of a signature mark, a, a kind of a thing that the people of God have done and still do throughout the ages. It's Jesus' teaching us when He said to pray, Thy kingdom come. We're still waiting for the fulfillment of that prayer to be answered. Now, we're living within the framework of the kingdom of God, but not the end result. It's why we we remind ourselves of when we take the Lord's Supper and how we say and what it is we say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat 
this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When? Until He comes. That's what we do. We're still waiting for Him to come. Amen. Broadman's commentary notes that over 500 times, 500 hope-filled times, the Scriptures speak out about the return of Jesus. That Jesus will return is said more frequently in the New Testament than any other subject about Him. 500 times about His return in the New Testament alone. Because God fulfilled the over 300 prophecies regarding the hope of His being born, and those things were fulfilled as we celebrate even now, but specifically next week. Aren't we, shouldn't we, have even more hope and more encouragement that because the 300 prophecies were filled, fulfilled, that the 500 are going to be fulfilled as well? I mean, why would God drop the ball at that stage? Well, He wouldn't. However, for right now, we're just in Holy Ghost-filled pause. The early Christian church was, was carried forward by what has come to be called the blessed hope of Christ's return. As a matter of fact, when disciples would meet each other uh, in the streets of Jerusalem or wherever they were gathered, they would greet one another with the word Maranatha. And the word Maranatha means our Lord, come. And that's how they would greet one another. They were completely bought in to the idea that the prophetic words regarding the Lord Jesus Christ were going to be fulfilled. This hope, this hope kept our early church followers on guard against sin as well as it sustained them during times of sorrow. But it also undergirded them during the...